Welcome to the Grand Supreme News Podcast, a podcast that gives you biblical prophecy and helps you establish a relationship with Christ. My name is Jessica, and I just started this podcast Wednesday. Um, you guys really liked it, and I'm thinking about doing this podcast on Wednesdays and Fridays. But what we went over was the book of Job, and that was part one. This is part two. And I ended on um, chapter five, so we're actually going to be going to six. Real quick, I want to say that I am here with my little niece, but she is not feeling good. So I'm asking for prayers um, so that way she will feel better. Do you want to say hi? Okay, so she doesn't want to say hi, but she is here with me. Um, so yeah, before we get started, though, um, if you need to pause this, go get some coffee, get your Bible, get your pens or pencils, paper, whatever else you need. Um... And I think we're going to read from chapter 6 to chapter, probably to chapter 9. Um, actually, we'll probably do from 6 to 11. So yeah, it's a great time to pause. And if not, or you're, you paused it and now you're coming back, we're just going to go straight into it. Now, I'm going to read the scripture. I'm going to give some hard questions. And then I'm going to briefly go over what I have read to give you guys a better understanding. Um, so yeah, so we're going to read Job's reply to Eliphaz. Then Job answered, if only my grief could be weighed, my devastation placed with it on the scales, for then it would outweigh the sand of the seas. That is why my words are rash. Surely the arrows of the Almighty have pierced me. My spirit drinks their poison. God's terror, terrors are arrayed against me. Does a wild donkey bray over fresh grass, or an ox low over its fodder? Is bland food eaten without salt? Is there flavor in an egg white? I refuse to touch them. They are like contaminated food. If only my request would be granted, and God would provide what I hope for, that he would, he would decide to crush me, to unleash his power and cut me off. It would still bring me comfort, and I would leap for joy, an unrelenting pain, that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What strength do I have that I should continue to hope? What is my future that I should be patient? Is my strength that of a stone? Or my flesh made of bronze? Since I cannot help myself, the hope for success has been banished from me. A despairing man should receive loyalty from his friends, even if he abandons the fear of the Almighty. My brothers are as treacherous as a wadi. As seasonal streams that overflow and become darkened because of ice and the snow melts into them. The wadis evaporate in warm weather. They disappear from their channels in hot weather. Caravans turn away from their routes, go up into the desert, and perish. The caravans of Tema look for these streams. The traveling merchants of Sheba hope for them. They are ashamed because they had, they had been confident of finding water. When they arrive there, they are disappointed. So this is what you have now become to me. When you see something dreadful, you are afraid. Have I ever said, give me something or pay a bribe for me from your wealth or deliver me from the enemy's hand or redeem me from the hand of the ruthless? Teach me and I will be silent. Help me understand what I did wrong. How painful honest words can be, but what does your rebuke prove? Do you think that you can disprove my words? Or that a despairing man's words are mere wind? No doubt you would cast lots for a fatherless child and negotiate a price to sell your friend. But now please look at me. I will not lie to your face 
reconsider, don't be unjust. Reconsider my righteousness is still the issue. Is there injustice on my tongue? Or can my palate not taste disaster? Okay, so briefly going over that, I have my notes here. So when you look at verses 1 through 5, with vivid poetic, poetic um, imagery, Job contended that his suffering could not be measured, much less understood by his friends. Like Eliphaz, Job attributed his suffering to God's intentional actions against him. The rhetorical question immediately following Job's description further implies that he would have nothing to complain about if God had not withdrawn his provision. And then when you go to verse 5, the word bray is used only here and in um, chapter 30, verse 7, in which the desperate cries of starving men are like the braying of a hungry donkey in the wild. Similarly, an ox would low when hungry or in distress. Naturally, both wild and domestic animals loudly complained when their need for daily food was not met. Likewise, Job's friends should not be surprised by his cries of despair when his basic need for comfort was not being met. When you go to chapter 6, verse 6, bland figuratively describes foolish or deceptive speech. Flavor, also taste, can also have the figurative sense of judgment, discernment, or reason. Imagery inviting comparison to the taste of food, for or here lack thereof, and the wisdom of discernment of one's speech appears more explicitly when Job asks, Doesn't the ear test words as the palate tastes food? The translators of the LXX understood the second question of chapter 6 verse 6 in this vein. Is there taste in empty words? Speaking metaphorically, perhaps of his friend's tasteless, undiscerning speech, Job refused what was set before him as unfit for consumption. And then when you look at verses 14, Job spoke to himself as a despairing man. Job also expressed disappointment in his friends from whom he did not receive loyalty. And when we look at verses 15 through 21, Job compared his fair weather friends to a wadi, a riverbed that flowed with water in the rainy season, but dried up in the heat of the summer as a man whose life was melting away. Job described them as treacherous, unreliable person. One who is suffering, who is suffering, may say things that they ordinary, ordinarily would not. The most agonizing questions of a desperate heart are often voiced in the hearing of the closest, most trusted friends and family members. People who will be there no matter what. Job cried out in the hearing of, of three such friends on whom he thought he could count. Initially, their ministry of uh, presence was exemplary. When they ventured to speak, however, they offered neither comfort nor help with the suggestion that Job was at fault. When you look at verses 27, Job compared his friends who failed to pinpoint what he had done wrong to creditors bartering over the orphan orphaned son of their debtor. They were more concerned about providing a rational explanation for Job's situation than administering to their friend as a person. So those are the notes for chapter 6. So we're going to go on to chapter 7. Isn't each person consigned to forced labor on earth? Are not his days like those of a hired worker? Like a slave he longs for shade. Like a hired worker he waits for his pay. 
So I have been made to inherit months of futility and troubled nights have been assigned to me. When I lay down, I think, when will I get up? But the evening drags on endlessly and I toss and turn until dawn. My flesh is clothed with maggots and encrusted with dirt. My skin forms scabs and then oozes. My days pass more swiftly than a weaver's shuttle. They come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is but a breath. My eye will never again see anything good. The eye of anyone who looks on me will no longer see me. Your eyes will look for me, but I will be gone. As a cloud fades away and vanishes, so the one who goes down to Sheol will never rise again. He will never return to his house. His hometown will no longer remember him. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or a sea monster? That you keep me under guard. When I say my bed will come for me and my couch will ease my, com my complaint, then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions, so that I prefer strangling, death rather than life in this body. I give up. I will not live forever. Leave me alone for my days are a breath. What is a mere human that you think so highly of him and pay so much attention to him? You inspect him every morning and put him to the test every moment. Will you ever look away from me or leave me alone long enough to swallow? If I have sinned, what have I done to you? Watcher of humanity, why have you made me your target? So that I may, so that I have become a burden to you? Why not forgive my sin and pardon my inequity? For soon I will lay down in the grave. You will eagerly seek me, but I will be gone. Chapter 8, Bildad's Speech The Bildad and Shuhite replied, How long will you go on saying these things? Your words are a blast of wind. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? Since your children sinned against him, he gave them over to their rebellion. But if you earnestly seek God and ask the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, then he will move even now on your behalf and restore the home where your righteousness dwells. Then even if your beginnings were modest, your final days will be full of prosperity. For ask the previous generation, and pay attention to what their fathers discovered, since we were born only yesterday and know nothing. Our days on earth are but a shadow. Will they te not teach you and tell you and speak from their understanding? Does papyrus grow where there is no marsh? Do reeds flourish without water? While still uncut shoots, they would dry up quicker than any other plant. Such is the destiny of all who forget God. The hope of the godless will perish. His source of confidence is fragile. What he trusts is in. What he trusts in is a spider's web. He leans on the web, but it doesn't stand firm. He grabs it, but does not hold up. He is a well-watered plant in the sunshine. His shoots spread over, out over his garden. His roots are intertwined around a pile of rocks. He looks for a home among the stones. If he is uprooted from his place, it will, it will deny knowing him, saying, I never saw you. Surely this is the joy of his way of life, yet others will sprout from the dust. Look, God does not reject a person of integrity, and he will not support evildoers. He will yet fill our mouth with laughter, and our lips will, with a shout of joy. Your enemies will be clothed with shame. The tent of the wicked will no longer exist. Okay, so we're going to take a break here, and we're going to read over what we just read. So when you look at verse 2, Bildad compared Job's words to a blast of wind. 
Job had asked if Eliphaz thought that a despairing man's words are mere wind. Here, Bilidad showed that he regard, regarded Job's speech not as a senseless steam of words, but as something powerful and dangerous, perhaps like the powerful wind that caused the death of Job's children. In verses 8 through 13, Bildad relied confidently on the accumulated wisdom of the previous generations, the most respected source of practical knowledge in ancient times. To reject the traditional wisdom of the previous generation and their fathers would be unthinkable. Furthermore, the cause and effect pattern of the moral universe, according to Bildad's view, was mirrored in nature. Figuratively, to forget God or to be godless is to dry up like marsh plants without water. In ver uh, verses 11, both verbs and the analogy, grow, also mean lift up, increase, be, lof be lofty, exalted, or magnificent, and flourish, convey a picture of abundant life, not merely existent for or survival. A thriving papyrus plant would grow to a height of 10 to 15 feet. In verses 14 through 15, the spider's web served as an equally vivid picture of the deceptive, unstable way of life pursued by the godless, the one who leans on that which cannot possibly sustain its weight. And then we move on to chapter 9, which is Job's reply to Beldad. Then Job answered, Yes, I know what you've said is true, but how can a person be justified before God? If one wanted to take him to court, he could not answer God once in a thousand times. God is wise and all-powerful, who has opposed him and come out unharmed. He removes mountains without their knowledge, overturning them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place so that its pillars tremble. He, he commands the sun not to shine and seals off the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He makes the stars, the bear, Orion, Plytus, and the constellations of the southern sky. He does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. If he passed by me, I wouldn't see him. If he went by, I wouldn't recognize him. If he snatches something, who can stop him? Who can ask him, what are you doing? God does not hold back his anger. Rahab's assistants cringe in fear beneath him. How then can I answer him or choose my arguments against him? Even if I were in the right, I could not answer. I could only beg my judge for mercy. If I summoned him and he answered me, I do not believe he would pay attention to what I said. He batters me with a whirlwind and multipl multiplies my wounds without cause. He doesn't let me catch my breath, but fills me with bitter experiences. If it is a matter of strength, look, he is the powerful one. If it is a matter of justice, who can summon him? Even if I were in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. If I were blameless, my mouth would declare me guilty. Though I am blameless, I no longer care about myself. I renounce my life. It is all the same, therefore I say, he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When catastrophe brings sudden death, he mocks the despair of the innocent. The earth is handed over to the wicked, he blindfolds its judges. And if it isn't he, then who is it? My days fly by faster than a runner. They flee without seeing any good. They sweep by like boats made of papyrus, like an eagle swooping down on its prey. If I said I will forget, forget my complaint, change my expression, and smile, I would still live in terror for all my pains. I know you will not acquit me. Since I will be found guilty, why should I struggle in vain? 
If I wash myself with snow, cleanse my hands with lye, and you dip me in a pit of mud, and my own clothes despise me. For he is not a man like me, that I can answer him. That we can take each other to court. There is no mediator between us to lay his hand on both of us. Let him take his rod away from me, so his terror will no longer frighten me. Then I would speak and not fear him. But that is not the case. I am on my own. Um, so we're going to go into chapter 10. I am disgusted with my life. I will give vent to my complaint and speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not declare me guilty. Let me know why you persecute me. Is it good for you to oppress, to reject the work of your hands and favor the plans of the wicked? Do you have eyes of flesh or do you see, do you see as a human sees? Are your days like those of a human or your years like those of a man? That you look for my inequity and search for my sin, even though you know that I am not wicked and that there is no one who can rescue from your power. Your hands shaped me and formed me. Will you now turn and destroy me? Please remember that you formed me like clay. Will you now return me to dust? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? You clothed me with skin and flesh and wove me together with bones and tendons. You gave me life and faithful love, and your care has guarded my life. Yet you concealed these thoughts in your heart. I know that this was your hidden plan. If I sin, you would notice. and would not acquit me of my inequity. If I am wicked, woe to me. And even if I am righteous, I cannot lift up my head. I am filled with shame and have drunk deeply of my affliction. If I am proud, you hunt me like a lion and again display your miraculous power against me. You produce new witnesses against me and multiply your anger toward me. Hardships assault me, wave after wave. Why did you bring me out of the womb? I should have died and never been seen. I wish I never existed, but had been carried from the womb to the grave. Are my days not few? Stop it. Leave me alone so that I can smile a little before I go to the land of darkness and gloom, never to return. It is a land of blackness, like the deepest darkness, gloomy and chaotic, where even the light is like the darkness. Um... So Job's declaration that he was disgusted with his life echoes a sense of meaningless expressed earlier. Job pers Job's persistent declarations that his life was forfeited may have served as mounting evidence against Satan's claim that when, we per when personally afflicted, Job would become like any other man, regarded his life as a one possession to preserve at all cost, even if that meant cursing God. Job boldly expressed his complaint, but still never denied or cursed God. Without a mediator, Job rehearsed the case he determined to present to God. Job began his speech with three rhetorical questions confronted, confronting God with the apparent impossibility of reconciling Job, Job's conception of him with his own desperate circumstances. The implicit answers pointed out that God cannot possibly benefit from turning the moral universe inside out. Reversing the law of the retribution to which Job's friends unanimously appealed. God was able to discern the motives of the heart, which are inaccessible to human perception. Because God is eternal and omniscient, it did not make sense for him to search relentlessly for Job's sin when he already knew the search would be in vain and that in any case Job could not escape. Job questioned how God, who had formed him in the wound, could turn against and continue to afflict him. Job demonstrated a correct understanding of God as a personal creator, the source of life and faithful love. But 
Contrasting David's perspective in Psalms 139, Job drew some erroneous, erroneous conclusions. While God, who acts with purpose, was carefully fashioning Job and guarding his life, he secretly planned Job's demise. Since God sees all and cannot allow sin to go unpunished, Job's actions, whether wicked or righteous, were relentless scrutinized by God in order to prosecute him. Um, an ironic contrast is established with the same verb, translated notice, given the sense that God watches or observes closely in order to find fault. Take note of 14.16. Stands watch over a prisoner. Job questioned why God had allowed him to live and begged to be released momentarily from God's constant gaze before he died. Job used five words depicting the grave, darkness, in which the psalmist cry echoes Job's desperation gloom and deepest darkness, shadow of death or thick darkness, blackness, darkness, utter gloom, used only here and Amos 4.13, gloomy and darkness, which is darkness, chaotic, without arrangement or order, used only here in the Old Testament. This poetic piling of up of syn synonym uh, descriptions emphasizes a view of Sheol as a place of miserable isolation. In contrast, David noted that the deepest dark darkness is penetrated by the light of God's presence. And that's going to be where we're going to go to, go up to, and we're going to read probably 11, we'll read 12, 13, probably from 11 to 16 in part three. Um, but real quick, I want to read this. This is a doctrine and this is salvation. Job lamented the rapidly passing days of his life, feeling that God would continue to punish him no matter what he did. Job ruled out other possible responses as futile. He recognized the vast gap between God's holiness and man's sin. He longed for someone to meditate, mediate. His case, impartially, one of the themes of the book of Job. The book's treatment of this theme reveals the need and anticipation, the solution, for a perfect mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus. So hopefully you guys liked this. Um, like I said, we are going to be on Wednesday. We're going to do a part three of Job. But, you know, Job is very powerful. And it shows how a man who was, you know, favored by God and God had given him everything. And, you know, sometimes we feel like, okay, well, I've questioned God and I've said, God, why have you allowed these things? Sometimes we need to we need to speak to him in that way, you know, because God knows our heart. We can't hide our feelings from him. But I think that when we open up like that, you know, without cursing God and without, you know, um, turning from him, sometimes it is OK to question him because when we question him, it, it makes him, you know, answer us in the way that he needs to answer. Um, sometimes we hold our emotions in and, you know, we say, well, I don't, as a Christian, I don't want to say this, you know, to God, like, I don't want to ask him why is he allowing these things to happen. But, you know, Job did. Job asked God and we'll get into what God told him. But, you know, God knows our heart. We can't run away from it. We can't get away from it. And if you have a question, talk to God and say, God, why is this happening in my life? And just ask him to work on your heart to reveal his answer to you. Um, he's more than willing to do it. He loves us. He created us. We are made in his image, but you know, um, we really need, this is what it means to have a relationship with God. It means talking to him, talking to him, even if you can't hear him, talking to him and letting him work in your life and reveal his answers to you. 
Um, it's a beautiful thing, just like Job, the poetry. This basically is, is poetry. Um, but yeah, so if you guys like this, let me know. Um, if you are following us on YouTube from the Grand Supreme News channel, go check us out. And if not, we also have our website, grandsupremenews.net. Um, lots of great things on there. If you want to learn how to give your life to Christ, what it means to give your life to Christ. And if you have given your life to Christ and you feel like you have fallen, it's a great, you know, article that I wrote that talks about what you can do. And yeah, just like we always say here, give your life to Christ, get baptized. And just remember that God loves you. He created you and you were made in his image. Till next time.